This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Welcome back. I'm Matt Jones. And today on the Passive Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Brian Grimes. Brian is an Ivy League educated real estate entrepreneur and coach. Upon graduation from Columbia University in 2011, he embarked on a career in financial planning at AXA Advisors before transitioning to high net worth asset management at Bridgewater Advisors. In 2015, Brian launched his own real estate development company in his hometown of Philadelphia and has since gone on to uh, gut renovate 300 plus rental properties across the country using the Burr strategy. He's raising his sons, Brian and Thomas, in the Bronx with his wife, uh, Zila. Brian, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate what, it. Yeah. What else would you like the audience to know about yourself? Um, You know, I'm, I'm just a guy that's locked in on real estate. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, full time and have been. I, I retired from the nine to five at age 30. And, um, you know, I, I just love real estate. It's really, for me, uh, God, family, and uh, in real estate and in that order. Excellent. And how did you get started with real estate investing? Yeah, I, I kind of always knew I wanted to get into real estate. My best friend, um, you know, growing up from from high school, we played basketball prep school together. He was a couple years ahead of me. When he graduated uh, from college, he started buying like Section 8 rental properties. And uh, he would just read every any book he could get his hands on, um, Donald Trump books or any other book. And, um, you know, watching him, we kind of like went out to a a bar, like a college bar, and he pulls out like a, a wad of, you know, 20s. And I'm like, well, where'd you get all that money from? He's like, oh, this is uh, the rent was due. Um, so I kind of knew that, man, I need to get into that business if uh, you can make that much money on the side of your nine to five. So as I started working and uh, after I graduated, I was just saving every dime I could to, you know, save up and invest in real estate. It probably took me two years to get a chunk of money that was enough to plop down as a down payment on like a FHA house hack. Uh, and I got my first uh, duplex and uh, just never looked back. It was an, a property a year for a couple of years. And then I started a, a development company and that led to uh, hundreds of properties over like a five to seven year period. Excellent. And then uh, right now, are you still actively doing the birth strategy with properties? Still actively doing the birth strategy. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a guy that believes in getting really low to the ground with the birth strategy. I do it primarily in um, C-class neighborhoods um, in, you know, in neighborhoods like Philly, Baltimore. Um, there's, there's good markets in places like Cleveland and the Ohio market, Dayton, um, Columbus, but really just buying low, buying for pennies on a dollar, 20, 30 cents on a dollar. Um, investing 30, 35 cents on a dollar. And then, you know, doing that, uh, we could have do the cash out refinance before rates have gone up, but now just doing that refi to get your cash out and recycle that capital. So yeah, still doing the burr. Cool. And for our listeners who don't know what the burr strategy is, uh, do you want to just explain it real quick? Yeah. You, you buy, uh, the property, uh, you, you renovate it, you, um, will rent it out to someone, you refinance that property once you had the tenant in place. And then you repeat that process. So it's just a, a cash recycling model that allows you to acquire multiple properties with the same amount of capital. Excellent. And are you doing any passive real estate investing as well right now? Um, I, you know, I'm of the mindset, I forget where I heard this, but passive real estate, for the way that I invest, you make it passive. The way to make it passive is by hiring virtual assistants who can run the company for you while you're on vacation, while you're with your family. So 
uh, a lot of real estate, even if it's passive for you as an investment, someone's actively managing it. So as I built up a you know 100 plus property portfolio over the course of time, it was really scaling away from property management, which made it more passive and then adding in my own systems, my own teams, my own resources and bringing it all in house, which is just one of my philosophies, you know, cutting out the middleman as much as possible. And so uh, tell me about this uh, you know, system and, and team and structure that you have in place to make it as passive as possible. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, I'm a sports guy. I grew up in Philly playing basketball. I'm about six, seven. I was nationally recruited. My first high school game was against LeBron. Um, so they flew us out to, you know, Akron, um, Ohio. And, um, you know, they, they talk about, you know, systems. It's, it's like a team sport. You have to um, build a lot of different roles, a lot of different players and bring them together for you to be successful. But when you're um, when you're investing with uh, some of these strategies, you need uh, you need a lot of well, they say sports is like 90 percent mental. Real estate is like 100 percent mental. So when you're investing in real estate, you can take a lot of these mental categories, compartmentalize them, and then pass them off to virtual assistants because there is really no physical aspect to this. There's managing contractors, but unless you're uh, better at building properties than uh, some guy who learned how to build houses from his uncle when he was eight years old, that's not really going to be your value standing in a house. So it's all of the other things, managing the inspections, uh, managing the architects, the engineers, the lenders, the business relationships, raising money. All of these things you're going to need uh, different teams and resources to do. So it's about going out, finding really good talent in this globalized market where you can uh, interview somebody from somewhere like Mexico City, uh, hire them, train them into your business and then have them running different divisions you know, of your company. So thinking like a startup, not necessarily just an investor. And how are you finding these team members? Really through um, going out and finding, you know, there's headhunters. Uh, there's um, LinkedIn and some of these different resources. I mean, a lot of young working professionals from across the country want to work at a U.S. startup, especially in real estate, because it's, it's uh, exciting. But once you get a core group, it's really recruiting from your internal team. Growing organically is the best way, because then you get that culture fit and you can build that that uh, complete environment that you need to be successful as a startup. And uh, what sort of uh, roles do you have in place to cover the different aspects of your company? Well, um, I mean, I was blessed to be able to work at, you know, a very large uh, insurance uh, startup in the fintech space out in Brooklyn when I was still, that was like my last role. And I was uh, running their call center, um, helping that to grow out and training agents. But I, I really look at it as, you know, sales, that sales team, which is going to be like your acquisitions team. So you, you're not going to make money in real estate, if you can't buy properties, if you can't buy properties for pennies on the dollar, you're out of business, essentially. So acquisitions, uh, guys who can serve as like that deal analyst role and go out and pound the pavement, connect with wholesalers and realtors and uh, different people there. Then you need your back office people who can, I would, I wouldn't even call them like monetization, but who can push those deals to a close. So who can take a deal that you put under contract and now push that deal through a funnel um, to the closing table, because a lot, as you guys know, or may not know, a lot can happen in title, maybe one third of deals just get killed in title. So you need somebody chasing that and pushing those deals to a close coordinating closings with lenders, uh, hard money people, kind of all of the different uh, wrinkles there, then you need somebody who can manage construction, uh, manage the contractors, push the jobs through, manage the boots on the ground inspectors that you're, 
you you have running around kind of inspecting these properties. Um, you need somebody who can manage the tenants and the leasing agents and kind of all of that stuff as well. So it's really just taking yourself through the process. If you had to do one deal, you would find it. You would get lending on it. You would close on it. You would focus on building it. You would focus on tenanting it. Then you would focus on long-term property management. So now can you break down those five aspects into roles, hire really good people there, and then fill out those roles? And how much work is it on your part to oversee the people that are in these roles? Substantially less than doing it yourself. I mean, it's really, uh, it, it, I would say, you know, escalations can roll to the top, but it's not that much management once you get the system rolling. It's really building a system, especially if you're trying to do it by yourself for the first time, which is why, you know, the easiest way they say to make your first million is to copy uh, somebody else who's already done it. So following that blueprint makes it a lot easier um, than trying to build that, uh, you know, for yourself the first time. Very good. I really like that book, uh, The E-Myth Revisited, which breaks down how to how to like figure out these different roles and you know, <laughs> yeah. and whatnot. Even if you're doing it yourself, like write a job title or a job description and, and then, you know, eventually then hire out uh, somebody yeah. else to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And so what kind of deals are you doing the birth strategy with? Usually like, um, I mean, there are still some smaller single family deals where you can go in. We call them like a single jingle. You buy it for, let's say, 50 grand in a place like Philly, put 40K into it. The ARV is 170. Refinance all your money out, section eight it, your cash flow four or 500 a month. And that's fine. I mean, some of us are, are putting way too much pressure on the birth strategy or on cash flow today. We're not factoring in if you just do like a 2% rent, rent increase every year. You know, those uh, that cash flow is going to go through the roof of the course in the next five to 10 years. But most people have never really held a property uh, for five to 10 years successfully and seen that cash flow uh, growth. So even if you're not cash flowing a thousand dollars per door right now, some of these deals are still still uh, really good if you can recycle your capital. So there's those. And then there's the multifamily properties. Um, if you could buy a three story uh, townhome and convert it from a single to a multifamily property, build it into a duplex, you can really cash flow those things closer to um, $800, $1,000 a month, even in today's market with today's rates, and uh, get your money out of them and, and go do it again and again. So it, it's really focusing on kind of those two pieces, single family, the multifamily conversions, and then the quick single jingles. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that it varies from city to city how willing the city is uh, for to allow for these conversions to happen in the first place. Yeah, I mean, there is that. There's also what I call buy right or what is called buy right conversion. So, you know, I believe in getting in the weeds in real estate. So we learn the zoning codes of wherever we invest. So you can look at the underlying land. And if it's zoned for multifamily, it doesn't mean the, it, uh, the current owner is using it that way. So you will know what you can do with this property buy right, meaning you don't need a variance. You don't have to get approval from a board. You can just buy the property, submit your plans, get the uh, approval over the countertop and um, kind of run with it. Yeah. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, how are you finding these deals that you're buying for pennies on the dollar? Yeah, I look everywhere. So you'll hear from a lot of uh, kind of talking heads that you have to look off market if you're going to get a good deal. If you don't get it here, you can't find it. Or you got to go to the auction or you, you got to find the motivated seller. 90% of the deals that move uh, in the U.S. move on the MLS. So 
if you're not looking at the MLS deals, you're going to miss out on the majority of the activity. I believe in looking everywhere. MLS, uh, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, um, direct to seller, you know, the motivated seller stuff and bandit signs and all those different guerrilla marketing campaigns and online ads um, all the way to the auctions and sheriff sales. Because what I'm trying to do is create a situation of abundance. I want an abundance of deals flowing to me. And then I'm going to pick the lowest hanging fruit off of those deals. So I'm going to take the most profitable deals that are the easiest to get to. Uh, and that's kind of my strategy. If you don't have abundance in real estate, you're operating from scarcity. When you're operating from scarcity, you're going to overpay for deals. So you need to create a situation of abundance by looking at all deal sources, not just one over the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned that you're converting at least to some of the properties to Section 8. Or are you doing like all of them or, or like? No, I think Section 8 can be a, a safer play for somebody who's newer, who wants kind of guaranteed government rent and um, is concerned about like chasing around tenants. I actually I started my first hundred properties were, were Section 8 and then I shifted into what I would call like workforce housing, which is um, building properties where I would basically take a three bed, one bath and bust it down to the four walls, reframe it out as three master suites and then rent them out individually in a co-living setup where um, we can get like three rents even out of one single family property with like a shared kitchen and common area. Then everybody has their own studio space where it's a, bedroom master bathroom the only way to get to to the uh, bathroom is through the bedroom and um that can increase your cash flow that could take a property that rents for 1250 a month and turn it into something that rents for 750 per co-living unit so about 2250 per month so doing that strategy if you're doing it today what it does is it allows you to cash flow in markets where other people can't even see the cash flow so it completely uh, unlocks you hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's makes a lot of sense too. Uh, yeah, I, I know other people that are into communal living investing. I haven't done it myself though, but uh, it seems like a growing trend. Yeah, I mean, look, it happens all all over the place, especially internationally. So we're kind of the bunch that is catching up to it, and it, it's a solution. I say it's one of the most pure solutions to the affordable housing crisis. I mean, you have millions of Americans living in their parents' basement or on the couch that can't really afford that full single family rent, um, but they're working, maybe they're driving Uber, they're driving for Amazon, they're making two, three grand a month. They can afford a co-living uh, situation and it's a, a nice way to get out on your own. Yeah. And then um, are you just investing with your own money or are you taking on some passive investors too? No, I, I've always kind of done things, you know, myself. So definitely with uh, personal capital, um, you know, if, if you have to, uh, get a loan, you know, the bank can be your friend. Sometimes uh, what a lot of us don't find out until it's too late is partnerships are overly expensive. Um, you you may end up spending more time arguing with someone about real estate than doing the real estate itself. And the bank is cheaper uh, in terms of the money. A partner wants 50% of your profits. The bank is kind of fixed in terms of what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And uh, I consider partnering sort of like a marriage. I mean, you're you're kind of married to that person for the length of the hold of that property. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's 100% a marriage. Um, so you you have to, you know, treat it very seriously. Uh, this is not necessarily something you want to just do uh, because you have a buddy who wants to get in. You want to really have some long-term benefit and you want to protect yourself contractually you almost want a, a litigation attorney to review your operating agreement 
prior to any disputes because those mm -hmm. disputes especially with friends can get really ugly yeah exactly you want all that clearly laid out in uh you know the legal paperwork but uh yeah. so what kind of neighborhoods are you investing in with the, these bird properties yeah so I, I invest on the outskirts of the A class. So when people think about, whenever I say C class, people think, oh, well, you go from the A class, the nicest part, you drive through the B, then you get to the C. But that's not the truth. The C class is right on the outskirts of the A class. That's hence the, the word gentrification, right? Gentrification does not happen um, on the B class. It happens actually on the outskirts of the A class, which is on the other side of the tracks, the C class. So what I'm looking to do is, Find those uh, properties that are a quarter mile, a half a mile from the up and coming neighborhood where everything's kind of gentrifying and then buy there and get caught up in the wave of activity. So if you do that, you'll get properties that you can cash flow because you can buy them so cheap and the property taxes are so low. And if you hold them for two to five years, your property value is going to double. And that's what I like to do is, is kind of buy right there uh, in the midst of that development activity where I know people are building towards me. Yeah, I agree. I, and I like your strategy with uh, buying and hold for long term. Uh, that's where the oh, real yeah. money is made in real estate. I mean, you can make great money with fix and flips and whatnot or wholesaling. But, uh, uh, you know, that that real wealth building system is a long term play. Yeah, they, they say uh, there's a saying, I never met a developer that didn't regret selling a property. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it always happens. Even if you sell something, you make some money. Then five years go out and you're like, wait, that thing's up 100K. I should have kept it. It's always a regret. Yeah. I, I look back on my old properties that I sold in the past. And like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, it seemed like a great deal at the time, but you know, in, in hindsight, certainly. Uh, tell me about one of the your favorite deals that you've ever done. I think my first deal was my favorite deal. Um, well, I have two, but definitely my first. My first deal was my favorite because it was turnkey. When you're just getting started, you want to buy something that you just buy it. You uh, can broom sweep it, maybe slap some fresh white paint on the walls, maybe refresh the trim, hand over the keys to a tenant and get some money. I mean, that's really what this is about. You don't want to watch too much property brothers and think you're going to run in and full gut renovate a property by yourself with no experience and no mentorship on your first deal. You're probably going to get burned for tens of thousands of dollars by a contractor and be out of the game. So um, doing that turnkey on my first deal with a FHA house hack, I was making close to a thousand dollars a month, you know, off of that property from day one, got all of my money out of it within the first year and was just, you know, holding on to this legacy asset that dub, uh, doubled or tripled in value in about nine years. So that was one of my favorite deals. And I bought it in my backyard. So it matched my principle of, you know, buy where, you know, rent to who, you know, and you'll always be successful. Well, that's awesome. And so with a duplex, I, I guess I don't normally don't see that cash flow in a thousand dollars a month. Uh, were you renting out some space on both sides of the duplex? No, that's a good question. So the um, the duplex. So why did I buy this thing? So it's a duplex, two units. And in the basement, the guy who, who sold it to me, it's like an ex-convict. He'd gotten out of a prison and picked up like eight or nine properties by the time I run into this guy. So he's selling it uh, to get into another deal. But he learned how to build houses in prison. So he freaking decks out the basement. I mean, it's it's like full finished, full bathroom, um, one bedroom apartment down there. So I'm going to live in that and then um, rent out the two upstairs. And um, yeah, it just it was in a good market, man. It was, it was in a, a B class neighborhood and the rents are really high. 
I bought this, you know, and around, I guess, 2012 ish. So the market was still hmm. at the bottom in Philly. I mean, I got this thing for 130 K at a full asking price. I actually, I went over asking and negotiated the seller's assist so I could bring five grand less to the table, uh, which is how I got it so cheap. So it was just the right place. I mean, what I explained to people at that time is you could go on the MLS any day and see 15 or 20 multifamily properties that would cash flow you $1,000 a month, just pure in Philly, like any day. You could get them off of homepath.com. I almost picked up a four unit off of homepath.com once uh, that would cash flow a ton, but I didn't have enough capital. I was too young, too early in the game. So yeah, it was a different time. Yeah, very good. Well, tell me about a problem that you encountered with one of your investments and how was it handled? Um, I'll tell you about one of our biggest fears. Everybody's biggest fear is, is the house catches on fire. So I had a, a house catch on fire. Um, I get a call kind of middle of the night. The tenant's freaking out. The whole kitchen caught on fire. I don't know what she was cooking, but she cooked the whole house, you know, damn near. So um, we're, we're like freaking out. What's going to happen? How much is this going to cost? But I had a big crew, 150 contractors. I send the crew in. We correct the damage for five grand. The um, insurance adjuster comes out. He adjusts it for like 14K. So we get a big check. So everybody's biggest fear, your house catching on fire. The, the reality of it was it wasn't that scary. Nobody got hurt. Um, everything got fixed. And we actually got paid to solve that problem. That was one of the biggest um, issues or, or common issues. Another one is, you know, my first deal running around no mentorship, trying to figure this thing out, got burned for 40 grand by a GC uh, who, you know, plays that contractor game where they want 25% down, another 25% draw two weeks from now. And before you know it, they got all the money and none of the work done. So um, having those harsh experiences is one why I got into like mentorship and started helping people so that they don't have to go through that and get burned. Uh, but two, it, it forced me to learn deeper and really like take more ownership of the entire process. Um, so there was a lot of benefit to it, but certainly not more than you could get out of mentorship. And for mentorship, are you talking about you, you know, hiring a mentor or are you a mentor for other people or both? No, I am. I am both. Like I, I am, a, you know, I do have a, a real estate mentorship program that breaks down, you know, how I scaled up from zero to 300 properties in about five to seven years. Um, doing this birth strategy and creative, uh, creative financing and, um, you know, all these different strategies that are out there, like the co-living stuff. But um, yeah, you know, I tell people there's two types of mentorship. There's paid and then there's free. And here's the problem with free mentorship. I've had a lot of free mentors and they're good people, but they're not they're not dedicated to you. So you get a cup of coffee, you get a lunch once a year and you're not going to get a decade's worth of game over a cup of coffee or a lunch. Uh, there's not really that accountability where they're going to hold your hand through a deal or, uh, you know, follow up with you and, and do all of these things. So you end up getting lost in the sauce. You're really excited while you're with them, but you don't learn enough to truly uh, mimic their results. So free mentorship, while it's free, it, it, you get kind of what you pay for, which is you don't get as much. You get excitement, but not results. Uh, whereas paid mentorship, I was looking for it at the time but I couldn't find it. You know, the, the internet, everything wasn't as built out podcasting, all of this stuff was not this built out, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So it was, it was difficult to find. Um, and therefore I had to go to school of hard knocks. They did not tell me the school of hard knocks was hundred X the cost of mentorship though, or I would have <laughs> looked harder. 
Yeah, I agree. All the mistakes you make, uh, all the rookie <laughs> mistakes versus like paying somebody who's been through the ringer already and learning from their mistakes. Uh, yeah, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, I agree. It's a lot cheaper. Yeah, even the top performers in real estate, they also have coaches and mentors that they hire as well. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, what would it look like if somebody wanted to hire you to be their mentor to help them create a passive uh, Burr system? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So, so my program is a little different. There's a lot of uh, what I call guru courses out there, which is like a group course. They slap you in a course, you sign on to a Zoom call, there's 500 people there, they don't know anybody. And um, you just kind of go through some course content and hope for the best. And cookie cutter usually gets you n- not much for the average person. Most people need their handheld. What I do is I work with my people one-on-one. So I do a series of one-on-one Zoom calls, um, text and email support directly with me, no assistance. So you're actually like reaching out and building this relationship with somebody who's done hundreds of deals. We do uh, mastermind calls weekly, recordings of those. And then I have my course content, it breaks down step-by-step, you know, how I went from zero to over 300 properties. So all every step of the process, finding the deals, building your education, becoming your own GC, um, scaling with virtual assistants, doing your own management, um, doing screenings, doing evictions. I did my first two evictions, stood in front of the judge. So I break it back, like all of that down and show you how to scale this thing up with like a warehouse and manage contractors and get a fleet of trucks and all that stuff. So it's, it's that true opportunity to walk the path, but have your hand held uh, through your first uh, several deals. Most of my mentees get into their first or next deal within like 90 days of mentorship. And we've had some people have like crazy results. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. And whenever I talk to people about, you know, whether or not they should get a mentor or a coach, I say, you know, look for somebody who's currently successful in whatever kind of asset class you're wanting to get into. You know, there's people who have never done that particular asset class or they they used to do it like 20 years ago. No, you want to skip those people. Go for the people who are currently successful, such as yourself with the Burr strategy. Yeah, definitely. It, it's important to stay in the market. You know, I'm also doing that boots on the ground program. I didn't I didn't mention that, but I'm building houses. I'm working on a maybe 10 uh, gut renovations for my mentees from all across the country, some from out of the country who are tapping into real estate uh, in the U.S. side. And we're just building either birth strategy, rental properties or flip deals uh, for them with my in-house construction crew. So I'm always building. I'm always in multiple cities, you know, building properties uh, and at any given time. And, yeah, staying fresh. I mean, this game, the the cost of construction, the cost of materials, the cost of labor is constantly changing. So you do want to work with somebody who is active. Yeah. And it certainly went bananas during the pandemic there. Oh, my <laughs> the goodness. Oh. The cost went crazy. My uh, actually what was funny in the pandemic is my labor cost dropped down to a third of the cost overnight um, in, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the shutdown. So, yeah, things were going crazy. Indeed. All right. Well, are you ready to end this with the speed round? Sure. Let's do it. What's your favorite part about passive real estate investing with the birth strategy? The the freedom to wake up, uh, go to the park, work out, meditate, and just be with your family. Just the financial freedom aspect. Not even the money, but the freedom. And what do you know now about uh, uh, real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? I know the cost of construction. And I think that that's something that most programs don't teach you. Most people don't teach you. Once you know that, the blinders are off. What's a book that you can recommend to other real estate investors? Section eight Bible written by two guys from South Philly who built a 400 property portfolio in about five years using the birth strategy.
And uh, how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you have going on and your mentorship program and such? Um, I'm, I'm easy to find. LinkedIn, Brian Grimes Real Estate. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Brian Grimes underscore 247 CFU for the 247 Cashflow University. I'm at Grimes Estate on TikTok. Um, and all of these uh, different sites, you can also Google Brian Grimes Real Estate or Brian Grimes Explains, and it'll give you some free content. My YouTube channel, Brian Loves Cashflow on YouTube. Brian Loves Cashflow. Easy to remember because I love cashflow. It all back channels to free trainings that I put together for you guys on www.workwithgrimes.com forward slash cashflow, workwithgrimes.com forward slash cashflow. It's a free training. It'll show you how to acquire properties for pennies on a dollar all across the country. You don't want to miss out on that free offer. Excellent. And I'll include those all in the show notes. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, uh, just, you know, everybody's stay tapped into the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is real estate. There's so many distractions today. Uh, so many shiny bells and whistles. There's crypto. There's all this stuff going on. Stay tapped into real estate. If you give real estate two years, it'll give you the rest of your life. So just lock in. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Brian, and have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.